0: All right. Just think about that. God, in eternity past, knew that we would all be gathered here together today and studying this. And I pray that the Holy Spirit has prepared our hearts and our minds to be receptive to the word and make it real to us. And as you're turning to Revelation chapter 2, where we're continuing now with uh, a new church, the church at Thyatira. While you're turning there, I'm going to tell you a little something I heard this week. It's about another minister, not me, but uh, he was walking down the street and he saw these three boys and they were all sitting around talking. And there was a dog in their midst. And boy, as he came through, they they were telling some tall tales. And he walked up and he just said, "Hey guys, I want to. I don't mean to butt in, but you know what's going on here." And they told him that this was a stray dog, and they had made it a competition that whoever could tell the biggest whopper would be able to take the dog home. Well, the minister started with, that ain't no way to have a competition, and kept on and on, and he ended with, and when I was your age, I never told a lie. Well, all the boys just kind of stood there, and they tucked their heads for a minute, and he kind of felt ashamed for a second. Maybe I was a little hard on the guys. But that wasn't the case because what happened was the oldest one of the boys that was there, he shook his head and he goes, All right, sir, you win. That was the biggest whopper of them all. You get to take the dog. (laughs) So, welcome everybody. Revelation chapter 2. You know, we're going to talk here about Thyatira. And Thyatira is the smallest city of the seven that Jesus wrote to. But this is the longest letter. So it's kind of a contrast there. It's situated, if you look at the map up above, it's situated between uh, Pergamum that we just talked about and Sardis, which we will go to next. It's right in between them. Thyatira was basically established kind of to be a military operation. Pergamum was important. And this is kind of a fort post on the way to there. And it had no natural defenses like Pergamum did with high hills and, and a cliff so that it could be Uh, defended well, I mean, they're just there. They're next to the Lycus River, and they are just there, and basically they were the sacrificial lamb. Whenever the battle was there, they were supposed to try to slow them down so that Pergamum could prepare for war for whoever was coming. So I would not have wanted to live in Thyatira. Thyatira was best known at the time for its labor unions. They called them guilds, and they had a whole bunch of them. But the big ones was the textile industry with clothing and such. With wool because they had a lot of sheep and so they had wool. But also with this little glorified snail that was called a murex. Now this murex is something because they're little bitty creatures. You can see them up there inside that shell and they would crack open those shells. And they would withdraw the snail And inside one of its little glands was this yellow paste. And they would have to use thousands and thousands of these things to... They had figured out a way somehow that when you mixed it with water and sunshine, that it produced purple dye. And the wool that they had from their sheep, they would dip into that and it would make the prettiest purple royal robes that you ever saw. Only the rich had those because it took so many snails and so little paste came out of each one that it was expensive and it was for royalty or the only the richest of people it was a status symbol it was like your Rolexes and your your top of the line uh, cars and such so there was a status symbol thing because that die I was watching videos and if you saw in the announcements we had the Berean challenge for chapters to read. And it also said, there's YouTube videos out there that I was watching this week about how they prepared these things and how they did it and how laborious it was. And there was purple dyed fabric that a guy had from 25 years ago and it was still as beautiful and not faded as it was the day that he did it. That's why this dye was special and was sought after from all the corners of the world. One of the first converts... To Christianity from Thyatira it was in Acts 16. Lydia, you remember, Paul was down there by the river and he was teaching his followers and they were praying and she happened to come upon them and she was one who had feared God in her heart. So she came and learned the word of the Lord more uh, fully. And it says that her and her household were baptized that very time that Paul taught her the truth. And she became a follower, and she was known as Lydia of Thyatira, the seller of purple. So she was one who was taking this purple-dyed wool and going around and selling it to other areas. So it was one of their biggest things for the economy. Now, that's a little background for us onto Thyatira as we move into it. Otherwise, there's not a whole lot there. They weren't big into these games and stadiums like the other cities were and to all of the different types of worship. They were basically Apollo, if you had to figure one, that they followed. But other than that, they were just kind of there. But then we get to Revelation chapter 2, to our text. This is the Lord going to be speaking to his church, his body of Christ there. And so if you would, follow along with me from verses 18 through 29, where it says, And to the angel, or to the minister, the messenger of the church in Thyatira, write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and His feet are like fine brass. I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, and your patience. And, as for all that goes, your works now are more than the ones that was at the first. So they're growing. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things that were sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent. But she did not repent. So indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. And, verse 23, I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am He who searches the mind and the hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now, to you I say... And to the rest in Thyatira, as many as who do not have this doctrine and who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put no other burden upon you, but hold fast to what you have until I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works to the end, to him will I give power over the nations And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and they shall be dashed into pieces like a potter's vessel. Also, as I have received from my Father, I give this to you, and I will give to him the morning star. He who has an ear to hear these things, what the Spirit says to the churches, let him hear. Wow. That's a long set of verses, in it? You're probably thinking, man, Daryl's going to be six weeks or two hours, one of the two here today. Now, nah, we're going to get through this a little quick. But first of all, as I was reading this this week and thinking about it and thinking about all of you, what I thought about was this. Before I unpack it, I'm going to do something that Jesus gave an example to do. In Luke 10, there was a lawyer that came to him and started bringing out some questions. And Jesus said to him, how do you read it? What does it say to you? And so I asked you that question this morning before we begin. Take a look at what we've read. How does it read to you? What do you think that it's saying? Do you, as we let it soak in, is it saying the tone Is it a congratulations, a well done, or is it a warning? I think the tone might be set there in verse 18, isn't it? To the angel of the church in Thyatira write this, These things say the Son of God, who has eyes like flame of fire and feet like brass. Well, if that's the introduction, then my question is, what kind of introduction is that? Praise or uh, heads up, open up your ears. Brass and fire is what refines things. Whenever you have gold to make it pure, you have to put it through the test of fire and the dross is taken off through the fire so that it purifies and leaves that which is pure. And that's what these eyes as a flame of fire is trying to do here. It's seeing through the Word of God is alive and powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it has the ability to separate thoughts and intents of the heart. So what you see on the exterior may not actually be, but these eyes, like a flame of fire that's sharper than that, can go through and divide and see what's really on the inside. What's the thought? What's the intent? What's the motive? And it will purify hopefully if you have an ear to hear it will bring that out the brass had to do with judgment of that which will not be purified for sin it was the brazen altar that it was put upon whenever there was destruction upon the land God said if you follow my word I will bless you in every way back in Deuteronomy but if you do not follow my word then the first thing that would happen he said is your enemies are going to be able to take over with you but I am going to make the sky like brass and your ground like hardened metal. In other words nothing's going to grow. It'll be death and drought. We're going to see that if you're a Berean and you read this week those First Kings 16 through 22. Elijah put out a decree from God that it won't rain until I tell you, and for three and a half years there was no rain. The sky was like brass. Since this is all about the days of Elijah with Jezebel, and we introduced with that song, this whole symbolism is going on through this message of Christ as He brings out Himself in Chapter One. You know all of these representations that He's using comes from Chapter One when he says that I have these attributes and he uses them for each church, you'll notice this is the only time he deviates. In chapter 1, when he was talking to John, his beloved apostle, he said, I turned around and I saw one like the Son of Man. But Jesus, in this letter, does not use Son of Man, even though that was in conjunction with the eyes of fire and the feet like brass. Because... Christ is both God and man and then when it says son of man he's talking about my understanding of things my sympathy I'm I've been through that with you but when he talks as the son of God he talks from I'm tired of being that now I'm instructing you as God as deity what needs to be done I am not going to be sympathetic to this And so he changes his tune. And it's the only time that he does. And it's in this letter to Thyatira. And then he's ready to give him the report. After he has looked upon him. And he says this in verse 19. I know. I know. That's in a perfect tense by the way. That means perfect knowledge. I know everything that there is about it. Each individual that makes up that, that church. I know you. And he's." As he says that, I was thinking, man, is that calming to me? Or is that kind of scary? I know. Perfect tense. I know everything. My eyes see through. I would rather learn that now than on that last day. I would rather be informed now so that I can change. And so that I can be right in step and know what he's expecting. If I don't know what to expect and we get there that last day and uh-oh. Uh-oh. I didn't know that he's letting us know now I and he says I know your works I know your service I know your faith and I know your patience and you might have a reputation for that and that's good I want you to have these things but all of those things do not take away from something there's something else going on so there is some kind of doctrine being taught there's truth And people are growing because the works that they're doing are better now than they were in the beginning. So truth was being taught. People were listening and learning and doing. And there was that spirit going on. But he said that there's something else. There's a second group there at this body of Christ. Check out verse 20. Nevertheless, after I know all of these things, I've got something against you. The word few is not there. I have this against you is basically what it says that you allow that you tolerate the woman jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and she didn't repent you know you really got kind of two bodies going on in the same body right here you got the one who was growing and listening and you got the one who was being seduced to follow a false teaching That was going on there. They were some placing their allegiance with the one. Like the woman Jezebel as verse 20 calls it. And I want you to notice that she wasn't the one addressed in the beginning. When it said to the angel or to the minister or to the pastor of the church. This is a different one. And he doesn't call her a pastor or the teacher. What does it say? She calls herself the inspired teacher. With a false pretense, she is doing it to seduce my servants away from me and follow a wrong path. False teaching to Jesus Christ is leading his bought and paid for people down a wrong road of destruction. So this divided reference then is again in verse 24 if you look up there. To the rest in Thyatira. So whenever he's talking about this group who is following the one who calls herself a prophetess. Then he says, but to the rest of you. So there's that split that I'm talking about. He says, to the rest. He described it in his parables like the wheats and the tare that wants to grow together in the same field. Or the sheep and the goats that I will have to separate. He says, what is then this doctrine that verse 24 is talking about that all goes all the way to the depths of Satan. Well, let's take a little closer look at Jezebel, and then we will see this whole reference come about. Because the real problem here is, if you look at that, if you look at those verses, the real problem isn't just Jezebel. The problem that is being addressed by Jesus to his church is that you, the rest of you, are allowing it to happen. You are allowing a false teacher to come in and lead people astray and you're letting it happen. You're not saying anything about it. The word for tolerate or allow here is a word for tossing out. In other words, you haven't tossed that out. You haven't gotten rid of it from among you and you're letting it Filter in and lead people astray. You're not following the whole counsel of God as Paul put it in Acts 20 and verse 27. If the reason that there are so many denominations is because people like to follow their own instincts. If people followed truth, there would be hardly no divisions anywhere. So truth, if it is followed to the word of God, there would be none of these things going on. So, there's only one place for them to gather together. And he says, you're still allowing that to hang on and be around you and lead my people astray. And that's what he's upset about. That you allow and tolerate a self-appointed false teacher to mislead my people, causing them to sin. And to understand a little bit more about that, let's go to Jezebel in the Old Testament. As the symbolic reference that is used here. The word Jezebel actually means unhusbanded. In other words, I'm not um, under anyone's authority but myself. So, the Berean challenge, 1 Kings 16 through 22, because I'm only going to give you a snippet of these things. And then 2 Kings 9 and 10, if you want to write those down. So beginning in 1 Kings 16, we got a man named Ahab. He becomes king over the land of Israel, God's people. And he does something he's not supposed to do. Kings and the men of God, the men of Israel, are not supposed to go to foreign lands to pick out a wife. They are supposed to keep them from among their groups so they don't get led into sin and led into idolatry and to false gods. But he wanted to have peace treaty with the Sidonians. So what he did was the king of Sidonia, his daughter named Jezebel, he took as a wife. And that way he had an alliance and he felt like he had protection. And he was relying on that instead of on God. So he did first of all what he wasn't supposed to do. And he sealed a marriage bond in that kind of way with a foreign leader's uh, daughter. Ethbaal. her father, was the priest of Baal. He was the big shot in charge of that. And she, as according to what their belief was, Jezebel felt like She was now the priestess of that religion. Astarte or Asherah or Venus. It depends upon what um, uh, group you were from. Whether you were from the Phoenicians or whether you're from the Middle Arabs. You had different words but it was the same one. And she felt like that she was Astarte incarnate. That she took her place upon the earth and that she had this power and this position. And when Ahab married her and brought her over, she brought 400 of her prophets there. And then to satisfy the people of Israel, she allowed 450 people who would be persuaded to follow her religion as well to be priests so that we've got now 850 who are underneath of her and they start to kill the true prophets of God. Get rid of the competition so that we can change this whole country away from God and into the religion that I and my people are following. And so that's what she began to do. But there was a man of God who stood up to oppose this movement. He was moved by God, and his name's Elijah. Elijah the Tishbite. And I love the study of Elijah. And we're just going to briefly touch some stuff. We'll talk about Elijah in future days. I love what happened on Mount Carmel. But he goes to Mount Carmel because God moved him and he ends up destroying these prophets of Baal that Jezebel has underneath of her and he he kills them when God rains fire down upon the altar. And then he goes out and takes care of it. He races Ahab's chariot back and beats the chariot and the horses on, on his feet. And he gets there and he's feeling so good but Ahab tells Jezebel what happened. She couldn't stand it. She sent him a letter and she said, God do so to me and more if I do not do the same thing to you before it's over. Well, he takes off running again and he runs away for a little bit. And now she's kind of back in charge again and rebuilding the empire, so to speak. And she's taking over the king's place. Naboth has a vineyard, as you would read as you move on through your reading this week. There's a little guy named Naboth who has this little vineyard. King Ahab has built a summer palace right there next to Jezreel. And he's there and he sees this guy's vineyard and he says, I want that. I want that for myself. So he goes to him and he says, give me that. Give me your vineyard. Give me your land. I want to put a vegetable garden here. I'll pay you or I'll give you another vineyard. Naboth says, I can't. This is my family's inheritance all the way back to Joshua. How can I do such a thing to get rid of my family's inheritance and give it to you? You you can have anything you want. Go get something else, but don't take mine. Ahab goes back and he's laying down. And he's wallowing on the ground and he's in his bed and he's all depressed. And Jezebel comes in and says, What's the matter with you? Why are you acting like that? And he said... I went to Naboth, and Naboth wouldn't give me his vineyard, and so now I'm just sad and laying here. And she said, you're supposed to be the king, and look at you. She said, just lay there for a minute, and I'll take care of things. So Jezebel goes, and she takes over the king's authority. And she goes in, and she writes a letter to the elders of that city where Naboth is living. And she writes an elder, a letter to the elders, and she says, I want you to take Naboth. And hold a dinner in his recognition. Prop him up. Invite him to come. But when he gets there. I'm going to have people report treason. And then you are to put him to death for treason. Thus says the king. And she signs it with the king's signet ring. She called herself the king. That's where this reference back to Revelation is. She calls herself the prophetess. She took over the king's place that wasn't really rightfully hers, and she put the stamp on the letter. They hold the feast. Her two hired thugs come in, give a false witness. Naboth is killed. She comes in to Ahab laying on the bed, and she says, put on a happy face. Naboth is dead. Go take your vineyard. Do what you want to with it. The word of God comes to Elijah the prophet about that time and he says, you go meet Ahab and you go tell him down there in Jezreel that I am angry with what has happened and I am going to kill you and God is going to put Jezebel to death and he says, I am going to go after every one of your descendants who pees against the wall. I like that. King James says it a little bit better with a slang term. (laughs) Yeah, he he says a little bit better. Sue goes, oh, don't use that word. (laughs) That'll get you in trouble. Well, that's a Hebrew saying for boys that can pee against the wall. Girls have a little bit of trouble doing that. So it's a reference to male children. In other words, anyone who could claim inheritance to the throne or to this property or any place... They are being put down because not another one is going to sit on the throne of God for his people again. And so, what ends up happening is, that comes true. This man named Jehu, as you're studying through there this week, read about Jehu. Oh, what a guy. He comes in and Jehu goes after Ahab has died and now they anoint him to be king. Elisha does and he goes out and he starts going after all of them and he kills one of the sons and then they start running towards Jezreel and that's where Jezebel is and they get running through there and they're driving and they're driving and he would have speeding tickets galore if he was alive today because they looked out and they said, who's coming? I said, I don't know. They said, send a messenger and they go out there. Well, the messenger didn't stop them. They just kept driving and, and uh, Jehu had told him to follow in with me. So they send another one out. And they said, well, who is it then if they're not stopping? And he goes, I don't know, but I think it's Jehu because he's driving recklessly. So Jehu was a reckless driver, man. He would be the one driving the Camaro or something and really going through here. So he is on his way to Jezreel, where Jezebel is. He is doing what the Lord has promised that he's going to do. He's going to fulfill all of that. He's going to take care of the problem. And he gets there and what he finds is Jezebel setting up in a window. She has seen that it is Jehu that's coming. She knows what's in store. But what she wants to do is, if you'll throw me up the next slide, Tanya, because I've been just freelancing here. That, it says in the Word of God that you'll be reading this week that she painted her face. And that she done up her hair and that she sat in the window whenever... Jehu got there and she starts talking to him she calls him a slang term she calls him Zimri and as you read through there from starting in uh, chapter 16 you'll see why she called him that because Zimri killed the king Zimri started to go after the people but the people chose somebody else to be king than Zimri and so he out of uh desperation of not being killed by them put himself in a house and burned it down around him because the authority had been given to someone else and so a lot of folks will make a big deal that Jezebel painted her face and did up her hair to try to seduce Jehu so that he would not uh, kill her and that he would follow in with her that could be a part of it I would say that that probably is since she is known as a seducer but the other thing is, is this picture that you see right here is a carving from the era of Nimrod. It goes way back to Genesis for the Astarte. She would sit supposedly in her temple with her hair teared up and with her face painted as the priestess of her religion, the one in charge, and she would sit in her window and Delegate authority and tell what was supposed to go on. So Jezebel, what she has had most folks miss this in their studies. Jezebel has come there and got up to the top because she wants to prove she is still so prideful. She is still so much thinking that she is in charge and that her way of bail is more powerful than God's way. She dresses up as Astarte, as the goddess, to say. I am more powerful than you and calls him Zimri. The people will choose me over you and you will end up burning the house down around you if you continue to oppose me. So she's doing this as a position of authority and power as a goddess to tell him this is your last chance. But Jehu has God Jehovah on his side and God Jehovah is more powerful than any other of these so-called gods that are out there and in the spirit of god jehu looks up at her in that window and he says who is for me and the lord and a couple of servants look out another window and he said who is for me toss her down the next thing you know they grab jezebel they toss her out the window of authority that she had And it says, she hits the ground and the body splattered blood upon the wall and upon the horses that Jehu and his men were upon. And it says that Jehu rode over and made his horse dance upon her body and crushed it there. And then he goes in has supper and drink. Hey, why not, right? just trampled her down let's go in and have supper and a drink but afterwards he's sitting there thinking and he says hey you know what we don't want trouble from anyone else she was a king's daughter you know who let's let's go give her a burial they went out to bury her and you know what happened they found a skull a couple of fingers or a palm and a couple of toes from her feet and that was all that was left nothing else Because God had promised through Elijah's servant. He said, whenever I get done with these who oppose my way. He said, there'll be nothing left. If they're in the city, the dogs will eat them. And if they're out in the fields when you slay them, the birds will eat them. And what will happen is. Who they are will be turned into dung before me. There will be no stone that is erected or no monument that says who they are and they can go there and say here lies Jezebel now they are refuge upon the wasteland because they tried to oppose the true Lord God and to lead his servants away from him and that is the story of Jezebel now next slide so, what do we learn from this? Woo! <laughs> a, <lot of, laughs> a lot of stuff, right? Don't sit in yeah, don't sit in the window. I hope I'm not one of the descendants that pees against the wall. Because uh, if, if you read chapter 9 and 10 of Second Kings, the rest of it, he goes after every one of them. Pulls them all in and does away with every one of them. Um, wow. She got... What is called in the scriptures a sin unto death. You know, First John chapter 5, 16, 17 talks about that. There are sins that are so serious, especially if you are someone prominent and has the position to be able to pull people astray. Be careful. Look what happened to King Saul. He's an example of that. In First Chronicles chapter 10 verses 13 and 14. Saul died for his unfaithfulness which he had committed against the Lord because he did not keep the word of the Lord and because he consulted a medium for guidance, hint, hint, none of astrological stuff. But he did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, he, the Lord, killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. Folks, cannot emphasize enough as we've been talking about how the Bible is the most important thing for your life and the Word of God is your guide. It's your shield. It's everything that is important to you. And here you see that it's something that you need to follow. It's your guide, but it is the Word of God. And he comes to this group as the Son of God telling them these things. Why did Saul die? Because this is what's going to happen to Jezebel because she won't repent. And to the Jezebel in Thyatira. Why? His unfaithfulness. Which he committed against God. He did not keep the word of the Lord. And because he consulted somebody else besides the Lord. For what he should do. what Where is your direction to come from? The word of God isn't it? And I'd rather know this now. And how God feels about it than in that last day. Well I thought... Um, the tarot card reader down there. I thought the little astrology thing and the Indy Star was what I should go by today. No, don't seek counsel and guidance from anything except for the Word of God. Because as it goes into the body of Christ and His body, whether it was Israel or wherever, if you go too far, He takes matters into His own hands. He wants you to follow his word and his way. Saul, it says, if you read in Kings, when he comes to Ahab, when Elijah does, he says, you sold yourself. When you leave the word of God as your guidance and as your authority, you sell yourself to everything and you sell yourself to lies and then you sell yourself to destruction. So don't sell yourself. Question for you. What do you think is more heinous than murder? Maybe you've got some things, but murder's pretty heinous, isn't it? Cold-blooded murder. You know what's worse? Spiritual murder. False teachers. That's why God is going so important in that, because if you are led astray in a spiritual rather than a physical way, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, do not fear the one that can destroy your body, physical murder, but fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Your fear needs to be to God Almighty and no one else. He is the one that is in charge. And he says, those who teach Falsely, those who seduce my people to go out of my way and say it's all right to do other things are spiritual assassins. And that's why he deals so harshly with it and why he's dealing harshly with it here because leading you astray doesn't just kill a physical body, it destines a soul to eternal separation from God. So it is very important that you know the Word of God and that you follow the proper teaching. Romans 1 is another one of our Berean chapters, if you wrote it down. Romans 1, and there's a whole long thing there. But what I want to clear up with this chapter is, it says in our chapter of Revelation 2 in our text, it says that Jezebel was seducing the people to... Uh, sexual immorality and to idolatry what is the reference is really for for spiritual what is spiritual idolatry what is spiritual infidelity you can read this for yourself this week there's several steps that go to degradation but I want you to take a look if you would it's verse 25 you can see there in verse 25 that it says People exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. That's what it is. What is idolatry? What is not being faithful to God? It's when you place your desires or someone else's desires that that you care for above God. That is worshiping the creature more than the creator. And that is when you are now committing idolatry in a way that we can recognize is how does this apply to me? I don't go out and sit down at this shrine or I don't have Buddha on my shelf. No. What it is, is when I decide that I am more important or other people are more important than God's way and so that's what I'm going to do. Now... I am worshiping the creature. Rather than the creator. And that's what's going on here now. Uh, let's go to slide. Next slide. Back to Thyatira. Revelation 2. As we begin to close. I want you to look there at verse 21. I gave her time. I gave the one who is teaching my people to go away. I gave her time to repent of this thing grace always precedes judgment we can never at any time say god i didn't deserve this god i no i gave her time there is never a time that we can blame god for anything and any decisions that we continue to make or a walk or even on that last day but god i I gave you my word, I gave you time. But you decided to follow your own way. Verse 22, you want to play the harlot, you want to be the seducer and lead astray, I'm going to give you a bed. And those that climb into that bed with you and follow your false teaching, I'm going to go after them as well with great tribulation and I will kill her children. What's that mean? Whenever you become a Christian, you're a what? A child of who? Because you're following his teaching in his way, aren't you? If you follow a false teacher, you become their children and no longer a child of God, are you? You've been seduced away from your true parent that wants to have you and you are following someone else who is now, you're a child of theirs. And that is leading you to destruction. And that is why we said this is so important. Because it is spiritual assassination and i will kill them with death why is it killed with death because it's talking spiritual this is not the way that you want to go every descendant that's why it goes back to jezebel as well they track down every one of them that peed against the wall every one of them has to go because why if you only take out one the rest can still continue doing what it is that's leading people astray i got to remove it all get rid of it He tells us in Corinthians, he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump and the whole ball of dough starts to swell. You don't put it there. He said here, you haven't removed the leaven from your church. But, verse 24, to the other half, those that are not following that way, nor the depths of Satan, as they say, I'm not going to lay any other burden on you. Man, you got enough going on. You're trying. I know you're working. I know you're doing. So I'm not going to tell you anything else but hold fast. Don't be swayed. Hold fast to that which you have until I come. And then I'm going to bring a reward with you for being faithful to me. I'm going to bring my reward with me. And we will get into that the next time. We'll see about rewards again on on this. But hold fast till I come. Now as our worship team comes on back up stage... Right now, self-inspection time. Boy, I've, I've had self-inspection all week. It's, it's been grueling. What's the moral? Well, am I doing right? Am I teaching right? Am I following right? What's my path? How am I? Well, hold tight. Weather the storm then. Be faithful to me if you're doing right. Don't allow the depths of Satan to come across you and take you. Know the truth. No creature is more important than the creator, folks. No creature is more important than the creator. If if it is taught that God does not care what you do and that he tolerates things, take a look at this chapter. Take a look at your Berean passages in Kings about the real Jezebel. God does care and God does not tolerate too long he has grace and he gives time we are to be a new walk of life a holy nation a royal priesthood and died to self and risen as a new creature with christ like lydia of thyatira was when she was baptized that day into christ don't buy into the lie that you can do whatever you want but also don't buy into the lie that you got to be a pharisee too and you think that it's all about you and the good works because that ain't the truth either It's all about Jesus Christ and his righteousness. We are never righteous on account of us or anything we do. We are righteous through the blood of the one who died for us. And then our life exhibits those things out of thankfulness for what he's done for us. So I hope that this lesson has helped you today. Pray that we always search for truth. That we always walk in his way. That we always self-examine. Pray that we love Jesus Christ and His Word. And that we follow that and allow His love and His Spirit to work through us in our life. And to produce those things that leads others to Christ. And the safety of an eternal home with God the Father in Heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. And basically kind of this warning, especially to me but to all to hold each other accountable as Bereans it says that they would search the scriptures all the time validating what you say is true facts and the warnings so father we thank you for the rewards but we thank you for those things that correct us and keep us as sheep who like to roam keeps us going in the proper path with the proper motivation father so thank you for this Thank you for your son. Otherwise I would be a lost soul. And so would everyone. Thank you for grace. And thank you for time. Because you've had much patience. With me. In Jesus name. Amen.